The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Now presenting the documentary series, Escaping Twin Flames. From Emmy nominee Cecilia Peck, this three-part documentary series pulls back the veil on Twin Flames Universe, a controversial online community that preys on people looking for love. Den of Geek says it tackles one of the more interesting subjects that streaming has in some time. Escaping Twin Flames is available now on Netflix. Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill. And today I'm speaking with Shen Wong about his short film, Nai Nai and Waipo, also known as Grandma and Grandma. It's a short film, and he gave us a short log line, which I think really sums up the film. Here it is. Nai Nai is my grandma. Waipo is my grandma. Together, they are a grandma super team that dances, stretches, and parts their sorrows away. You can see this film on Disney+. Plus. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Top Dogs Pod. And now my conversation with Sean Wong about his film, Nai Nai and Waipo. Sean, welcome to Top Dogs. Thank you for having me, Michael. So this is a film about your grandmothers. When did it dawn on you, hey, this would be a great film? When did you recognize that they were stars? I mean, I knew that there was something really special about them, but I think we keep going back to this idea that, you know, obviously we made a film with my grandmothers, but Sam and I really almost think back to the ethos of this movie almost being like a home video, you know, and the the intention and the, the catalyst for this film really was just wanting to make something that was a time capsule. First and foremost, have something that was for me and my family to remember what my grandmothers were like in this very particular moment in time. Because in a decade from now, they may or may not be here on this earth. And so wanting to have something that really embodied their humanity and their spirits. So I knew that whether or not anyone else would know or see that how special they were, I knew they were like magic and special. And I just wanted to capture that. But now that, you know, people have gotten to see it, I think they realize what I've known all along was that they're movie stars. They're special, funny and silly and all the things. The first shot of the film, it can be a little disorienting, right? We're from on high, we see a sleeping couple and, you know, in a heteronormative world, we might assume it's a husband and wife. And then that becomes honest, that's not quite right. And then we hear you say, good morning. And one of your grandmothers, Waipo, I believe, enthusiastically and sustainably responds. A number of things to discuss here, but one is that even though you don't appear on screen until the end credits, it really feels like you're the third character and it really feels like we're watching this through your eyes. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of part of the excitement of making this movie too, was that it's a portrait of my grandmother's, but it's also a portrait of my grandmother's in relation to me and the idea of like making a movie with their grandson. We knew that meta narrative was always going to be a part of the movie because we knew we wanted to kind of weave in these, we call them skits. In the movie, like them arm wrestling, you know, them drinking the whiskey, like it's clear that that's not part of their data. You know, it's it's very staged. It's very, there's a filmmaking language to it. And so we always knew that we wanted my presence to be interwoven. That's documentary 101. But that was actually something we calibrated a lot more in the edit because we realized 
the lightest touch of that element actually went a really long way. Just feeling my presence behind the camera, hearing my voice a little bit. There were shots and versions of scenes where I was like in the frame with them. And we realized pretty quickly, it was just like, mm, I'm not as magical as the two of them. So let's just cut me out. In some ways, the film is profoundly insular. It takes place almost completely within the four walls of a house. We get to the garden. It's almost blinding when we're out in the garden in the California sun. But to me, it really made it feel a little bit like a wonderland. But there's another side to it. And I think it's Nainai says she reads the paper and she's frightened. And then I realized, oh, this is also a film about non-Egyptians in the wake of COVID, too. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I think going back to a time capsule, we shot this in the spring of 2021. And so it was, you know, COVID era still, and also a lot of anti-Asian hate crimes that were happening in our country, but especially in the Bay Area where, right. where they're from, where I'm from, where we're shooting the movie. And so we don't call it out necessarily so explicitly in the film, but they're definitely alluding to that. There was a lot to be scared about for them during that moment in time. You've talked about some of these great skits or set pieces you have, like the one you mentioned of the arm wrestling. It begins with almost these Sergio Leone kind of low angle close-ups before they arm wrestle. But there are also moments that are seem a little more spontaneous, look spontaneous to me. For example, the song in the middle, they play it. I think it's Waipo plays piano and Nai Nai sings. Can you tell us about that tune? Is it personal favorite of theirs? Yeah, you know, I think so much of this film and the way we shot things and what I wanted to capture. It's not like we had a shot list necessarily. It was almost like by the time we shot the film, I had been living with them for months. And there were certain things that almost like memories, like what do I want to remember? That was one thing that like they would like why Paul would sometimes just go on the piano and start playing songs. And there's a shot of her with her songbook that she almost like writes her own version of sheet music. And I remember yeah, I remember her doing that and like Nine I would start singing along and I was like, that's so special and unique. I was like, okay, well, that's something I want to capture. Even them reading the newspaper together, like that's just like that image of like my two grandmothers sitting next to each other in silence reading the newspaper. I was like, I see that on a day-to-day -day basis. I want to remember that image. Why pull washing the dishes? It's It was just almost like little vignettes and portraitures. I, I almost saw this film as a a series of portraitures that I wanted to remember. You know, you mentioned earlier that they are a little frightened by the accounts they're reading in the papers of attacks on Asian Americans, especially uh, older women in the Bay Area, as I remember. It's interesting. We don't really hear their, we get a little bit of the backstory early on that they've enjoyed each other's company. And that's why they're living together. But it's really only in the last half or maybe in the last third that we get more backstory I believe it's Wai Po who makes reference to her childhood deprivations and even war. Can you explain what are they talking about? What war are they talking about? They both were born in China and then fled to, you know, what well, was a series of events, but fled to Taiwan. But yeah, it was a very war tour. You know, Wai Po was just talking about it recently in a, another interview. And you can tell that it was very painful memories for them. I think that was part of the... You know, the, when they talk about living a more fortunate life in their late years, their childhoods were so full of, like, they were, there was a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, and a lot of 
things that they don't have now, which was just a lot of, they have a lot of family and a lot of joy and a lot of reason to celebrate the little sort of joys in life. I think that juxtaposition was definitely something that was special for me to capture. On this turn, as you talk about the past a little bit, almost immediately they pivot to the future, which in the case of their age, you know, almost inevitably becomes a meditation on mortality. And I can say from experience, that's not really easy discussing death with your elderly relatives. How did you handle this part of the interaction, Sean? I think with transparency and honesty, I think they knew we were going to, because I had done stuff with them in the past that was like very silly and high end and slapsticky and funny. And we knew that we were going to go there. Like I was like, let's make something fun together. But I was very honest with them too, about wanting to cover grounds and conversations that were also painful and complicated because as much as our movie is 17 minutes long, but so much of the experience of making this too was again, going back to this home video idea and just wanting to have a personal record of their lives and their stories long after they're gone and just being straightforward with them and being like, we're going to have moments where we're just fil like filming arm wrestling and it's going to be heightened and silly. And that is very honest to us as well. But I want to use this experience as an opportunity to make sure we have a recording and a catalog of the holistic portrait of your lives. They were on board. I mean, it was painful for them to revisit it for sure, but you know, we have it recorded so they don't have to revisit it all the time. Yeah. Your grandmother's repeatedly mentioned your influence on them, um, Sean, you know, and they say, you're going to leave, but we're going to, we're going to keep dancing. Uh, I wonder, what have you learned from them? So much. I think something we really wanted to capture in the movie too, was how much youthfulness they have in their old age. And I think that's something they just show from experience and by just being it is that like growing old doesn't mean fading away. That's something we really wanted to honor in the movie. But also, you know, I think one thing I learned from them was just learning how to see the bright side of everything. You know, there's a line in the movie that Nainai says, which is the days we spend feeling joy and the days we spend feeling pain are the same days spent. So I'm going to choose joy. That's something that I really hold dear, especially because our world is a little bit of a dumpster fire on most days. And I think it's a good reminder to remember to celebrate the people around you. And there's joy amidst the chaos and the pain. And you just have to allow yourself to feel that. I mean, I learned a lot from them just being with them. I wrote down that line too, Sean. Yes. Uh, I think you filmed this just a couple of years back. How are your grandmothers doing at this point? They're good. They are healthy and well, which I'm still very grateful for that they get to celebrate the response to this movie. They're coming down to Los Angeles in a few days for the premiere, actually, and then staying for the Oscars nominees luncheon. So, really? uh, yeah, they're living their dreams That's and amazing. my dreams. I know, Sean, that you just premiered a well-received narrative feature at Sundance. Yeah, TT. Congratulations on this. But uh, I'm wondering if you see yourself continuing with documentary going forward, or do you even draw a distinction between these two forms? They feel close to you in some ways? Yeah, no, I definitely want to continue making documentaries. And yeah, I definitely see a there's a difference in form. And I think people certainly need guideposts to be like, is it a documentary? Is it a narrative? But to me, to me, it's always the story that comes first and the medium that comes second. 
like, what is the right container for the story that we're telling? And that has always been the North Star for me. And I think there were a lot of shorts that I had made where it felt like, well, this feels like a documentary, like this is the best way to tell the story. I think wherever that leads me is the container I'm going to keep telling the stories in. But I do think there's obviously certain things you can do in documentary that you can't do in narrative. And there's certain th things in narrative that you can't do in documentary. But ultimately, I think the process is the same to me. At the end of the day, you're trying to make the most honest version of the story. And you're trying to get to the heart of the story and the heart of the themes. And that discovery on each project, even though how you get there may be a little bit different, what you're aiming for is the same, which is just trying to tell the story in the best possible way. Sean, thanks for joining us today. Watching this film was a real treat, and I really did feel like I learned a lot as I'm advancing my, approaching my old, own older years, you know, of how to deal with this in a way which really embraces the reality of where you are, but tries to meet every day with joy. Congratulations on the Oscar nomination and good luck on the voting. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Do you have a hidden gem? It could be a documentary short or a longer documentary, either way, that you'd like to recommend that you don't think gets the attention that it deserves? The one that comes to my head is The Scared is Scared. It's by a filmmaker and radio, radio maker, Bianca Gaver. It was a big, big short in like 2013, but it's called The Scared is Scared. I love that, that short. Top Dogs is a production of Wooly Media. This episode was produced by Ken Jacobson and Mike Merrill and edited by Mike. Mike.